welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we speak to members and ask them to share some property industry insights and at the same time, get to know our industry colleagues a little better. My guest today is Rebecca Olkers, Chief Executive Officer at BHC. Rebecca Olkers is the Chief Executive Officer at BHC, one of the largest community housing providers in Queensland with over 1,800 homes developed and under management. Her experience in the affordable housing sector spans over 19 years across a variety of affordable housing projects, with Rebecca most recently leading BHC's involvement in the Queensland Government's Housing Investment Fund, securing partnerships with the private sector with the intent of growing the supply of social and affordable housing by up to 1,200 homes in southeast Queensland. Rebecca is a passionate advocate for affordable housing issues and is committed to growing the supply of safe, secure, affordable housing and delivering services that enable tenants to achieve increased wellbeing and inclusion. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Development Drum, Rebecca. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me, Kirsty. Now, Rebecca, you've worked at BHC for over a decade. Mm -hmm. What drew you to BHC and importantly, what keeps you there? Look, I very, very happily and luckily found my career love of my life in housing. And that was probably more like 20 years ago. I just absolutely fell into it. But I guess I'd always had a really strong sense of social justice, of of wanting to do something that made a difference in the world and to people's lives. And so I had always worked in roles and in a career that had had that. But when I got into housing, it was like, ah, now this is what I'm meant to do. But then in terms of what drew me to BHC, so that was a little bit after I had actually worked in the sector, the thing that really drew me to BHC was the entrepreneurialism of BHC and the commercialism. It was a very, very different kind of organisation in that it had the heart side to it, but it also had very much that head side to it. So really looking at growth of the sector, growing the supply of social and affordable housing and coming up with new ways of doing that. So the creativity of it, the creativity, entrepreneurialism, commercialism, all of that kind of thing, I really, really saw in BHC. And I still see that to this day. Like that's the thing that keeps me there because it's a challenge every single day. Yes. Every day. Yes. So I'm really drawn to that. I love it. I had it back then. I've still got it now in terms of that draw with BHC. So I feel pretty lucky, to be honest. Absolutely. It must be challenging though. And I imagine the BHC that you joined all those years ago and the BHC that is out there kicking a huge number of goals today is is a very different organisation. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, it is. It is different in that the size of it is different. Like it was probably, there was probably back when I joined and it's actually coming up to 15 years now in actual fact. But when I joined. So you joined at the age of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Not quite, but honestly, it was a smaller organisation then. The founding CEO was still the CEO. His name was David Cant. It is David Cant. He's still an absolute luminary in the field of social Mm. and affordable housing. But it was a smaller organisation, but it had actually already kicked some pretty amazing goals. And then when I came to the organisation, I was in the development team at that time. And then I actually spent a lot of time in business development. So looking at the feasibilities Mm -hmm. of the developments, but then also looking at how to bring more money 
into social and affordable housing. And so over that 15-year period, there's been a lot of different kinds of funding mechanisms yes. that have come into play. Yes. And we have definitely grown the organisation. So I probably started when there were about 400 units and now there's 2,000. And the growth trajectory we're on at the moment mm-hmm. is that I want to achieve 3,500 in the next couple of years. So that's all great. But there's so much more we could do. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, whilst BHC has been on a big growth trajectory, trajectory the main thing I look at like I feel I feel happy but I also think there's so much more More. to do yes and so I think that's what keeps me super motivated and I see I see the people and the families that it really affects Mm. and so every time I see a person that has been housed with BHC and I see the change that it makes in their lives um I just think, right, we've got to do this on steroids. Yes. We can't just do it in, you know, one development here and one development there. We've got to do this on steroids. Yeah. We've got to really, really grow the sector because for every person that's housed, there's so many people who just don't get that housing. You can't, yes. Yeah. There's never been a time where it's been as big an issue and as visible as we are currently grappling with now. COVID just induced, you know, a huge surge in demand for property and we've had a huge changes in terms of the way that we live as a result of COVID, expats coming home. There's huge pressure on our housing system. How is BHC tackling that challenge? Well, look, from my point of view, I've got to be honest, ever since I've joined housing and been in the sector, it's always felt to me like there has been a crisis. Yes. Because there's been many, many decades really of underinvestment in social mm. and affordable housing. If we talk just in Queensland alone, there's 50,000 people who are on the social housing register. Australia-wide, there's about 116,000 people mm. who are homeless. Yes. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who literally cannot afford the rent. Mm. They're renting in the private rental market, but they might be spending up to 70% of their income on housing and housing-related costs. And so they just can hardly put the food on the table. They might be living in rental housing, but they really can't send their kids to school excursions or even buy the uniforms and that sort of thing. So whilst COVID has definitely brought things out in the open a lot more and we've seen an unusual bubble in terms of of what's actually happened in the housing market, I feel like there's been a crisis actually for many, many, many years, many years. But what is good if you if you want to say there's a silver lining to it is that there's more understanding yes. about the fact that oh my goodness this housing thing is real yeah there really is a crisis it's starting to affect more people's family members and everybody's kind of going gee my brother can't rent in the private rental market anymore what's this all about he's always been able to yes. rent in the private rental market things have sort of changed even more so. So from BHC's point of view, I mean, we're just doing the same Mm. as what we have always done, except trying to really, really ramp up our advocacy, Yes, really trying to get state government, federal government, local government to understand the kinds of levers that they can pull, to think about all of the different parties that can play a role in providing social and affordable housing, because it's definitely not just community housing providers. Mm. It's got to be a bigger response than that. And I personally just think that it's a good opportunity for everybody to go, actually, this is a crisis. We need a national affordable housing plan, a national housing strategy for that matter. Yes. 
to look at all of the different types of housing right across the continuum because we just need more of it. Yes. And do you think we'll get there? Do you yes. think now's the point in time where we can really have that conversation across all different sectors, all levels of government to really sort of get us off on the, the right foot finally? I actually feel very optimistic mm. about that. I think that the right ingredients are there to make that happen and maybe COVID has just been that catalyst yes. to actually get people thinking about it. In the last election, I think it was something that people mm. really spoke about. Yes, I have never heard it really spoken about in that way no. over all of the years that I've been in housing. So that was really heartening to me. We've got a federal government that is talking about the Housing Australia Future Fund. Yes. And that's a $10 billion fund. And the interest that comes, that will be invested. The interest that comes off that will go in perpetuity into building more social and affordable housing. Now, that sounds like a lot, like a $10 billion fund, but we're only talking about the interest that comes yes. off that. So that's more like, say, $400 million a year, something yes. like that. And that sounds like a lot, but we're talking, we need billions yes. to actually really redress this issue that we have. But I'm still optimistic. This is still a really, really good start. Here in Queensland, state government has introduced the Housing Investment Fund. Again, Housing Investment Fund is has actually been the precursor to the Federal yes. Housing Australia Future Fund. Yes. And I am very, very excited about the Housing Investment Fund because it's a new way of doing the funding of social and affordable housing. It's, as I say, it's this investment. You get money that comes off that as a yield every year. But what that allows you to do is actually to leverage institutional investment. Yes. And if we can leverage institutional investment and get that happening in the social and affordable housing sector, you've just got so much more money mm. that you can play with. Yeah. Because governments can only put in so much, or actually I shouldn't say that. Governments could put in as much as they wanted to. Mm. But if there is a limited amount, you want that amount to go as far as it possibly can. Yes. And so if you can actually incentivize institutional investment to play in the social and affordable housing sphere and then top it up, with government money, you're going to get further. You're going to get more housing outcomes. It's going to be a win-win-win. It's going to be good for the people who get the housing. It's going to be an appropriate risk-adjusted return for the institutional investor, and it's going to be less money that government mm. needs to put out. So I personally, I want to see more and more of that happen. And the deal that BHC is involved in bringing together at the moment, hopefully, will be a catalyst yes. for more of these kinds of deals into the future because I guess the thing I've learned over the period of time I've been with BHC and in the sector is that to get that growth, you need to leverage different kinds of money. It's yes. not all going to come from government money. You've got to leverage different kinds of money. And so hopefully this will be a really great possibility. Rebecca, you mentioned before about the deal that BHC is involved in and thinking about the HIF, which you really champion to get across the line, which is a wonderful announcement. How long do you think it will be? There's certainly no silver bullets in this space. We've been looking for them, but mm -hmm. it appears that there are none. How long do you think in this space until we start seeing some of the real benefits that can come from something like HIF? The difficulty that we all have in development is that when governments want to see something happen, they want to see it happen yesterday. Yes. So they put some money on the table and then it's, what you know, where are the results? Where is it? <laughs> but unfortunately, as you know, like a development process takes a couple of years. Yes. It just does. Yeah. So even if you got the green light, you've still got that lead time. 
there's a couple of things that I would say. You've got to get the model right for yeah. a start. So yeah. you've got to actually have the partnerships in place to have the funding on the table to be able to do the developments. The developments that we're hoping to do are going to be on scale. We've got a definite you know, the proposal we put forward was for 1,200 units. Incredible. And we're very hopeful that that full 1,200 will be realised. Yes. And we're working through that right now with the Queensland State Government and with our partners QIC and ART. Mm-hmm. But look, at the end of the day, you can't get away from the fact that it takes a period of time. In this whole process, we went out and proactively put money on the table to buy land so that we would be advanced in the process. Yes, yes. We're also seeking to have partnerships with government on government land. Yep. And we're hopeful that that will come to fruition, although there's nothing definite no. on that at the moment. And also other partnerships too. But the bottom line is it'll take two years for each of those developments. Absolutely. But I guess all I would say is that it's better to start now. We have to start somewhere, we've got don't to start we? somewhere Absolutely. and we've got to start now. And from my point of view and BHC's point of view, the kinds of developments that we do, it's harder to go and buy something that's already been built. Yes. Because we build for the long term. Yes. We own the property for the long term. Once we've built it, we then, so we have our own development team, we develop the property and then we manage it in perpetuity. Mm. So we don't tend to sell things. I mean, occasionally, very occasionally we will if it's not fit for purpose, but that's not usual. And we design it in such a way that you've got the passive ventilation Mm. that people don't need to use, air conditioners, for instance, that there's that lovely cross-flow ventilation and a lot of other things to kind of keep the cost of living down as well. So it would be easier if we could go out and just buy things on the market, but we typically don't. Yes. We build them and so you've got to go through that process. And we don't ask for any special favours. We just go through the ordinary planning process as well. So bottom line is you've got to start somewhere. You might as well start today. Better to start today than in a year's time yes. or in five years' time. Yeah. Is there an opportunity to streamline that planning approval process as well as part of this move forward to be able to deliver more seamlessly social and affordable housing? At the moment, there isn't Mm. particularly. Having said that, we've got a good relationship with BCC and we're also trying to forge relationships with other regional areas where we're building as well. Yes, fantastic. And in fact, that's great. But as I said before, we typically don't get any fast tracking per se. One thing that we have asked for, and look, it would be terrific Mm. if there were some kind of mechanism, but also I think... We want it to go through the proper process. We want people to be happy. We want communities to be happy. And so even if we were able to fast track it, we would probably still go through all of the process that we go through. The thing that would be helpful to us and that we've actually sometimes been able to achieve is a little bit of kind of oversight from the planning authority. If we ask for slightly less car parking, for instance, it would be really great to just go, okay, well, look, BHC properties, we've accepted this argument. They Actually, their tenants don't all have cars. So having a reduced car parking requirement is reasonable. So therefore, we will do that on all of the developments. Yes, Having an affordable housing code, for instance, would be super. Yeah. So that you knew what you could plan for rather than having that argument or from, from conversation the, from every the start time. every single yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. And car parking plays such a huge role in terms of getting that feasibility to it stack does. up 
at any day, but particularly at the moment with such pressure on construction costs. Oh, 100%. I used to always say to people off, each car park's 50 grand. Mm-hmm. It's not now, it's 100 grand. Yes. And if you do basement car parking, you know, with the cement and the steel, it's really absolutely just gone through the roof. Yes. And so for us, every additional car park, you know, Shoot. that's taking yeah. money away from providing units for yeah. people and roofs overheads. So, You've really got to win that argument. Having said that, I think it's also really important to not undercook the car parking too. You've got to get the sweet spot. But with BHC, we've had, I mean, the organisation is 20 years old now. We've got that data. Tremendous data. We've got all that data. We know the car ownership levels. And we also know that once people live with us, even if they do have a car, they then get that confidence because we only ever build near good public transport, amenities, shops education, all of that, they get the confidence to go, okay, well, actually, I can, I don't need to have can that let go expense. Of the I car. can let go of that. Yes. Yeah. Some of the people who live in our properties have formerly been homeless and sometimes having a car has been the only thing that's been the roof over their heads. Yes. And so sometimes that is hard. But when they finally get some long-term, safe, mm. secure, affordable housing, then you can kind of let go of that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of some of the beauty of our housing. We house people right across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So from people who have been previously homeless to just your key worker people who have always worked but are just in low-income jobs. Yeah. Talk to me. One of the hallmarks of BHC's projects to me has always been the exceptionally well-thought-through design. You mentioned cross ventilation and passive design before. It's always been a hallmark, I think, of BHC. And it's really interesting for me to see some of those elements then being taken up by the private sector in in market accommodation as well. And I always find that really interesting. Talk to me about why design is so important for your tenants. There's a number of reasons, but first and foremostly, or maybe this isn't the most important one, but it is a really important one. And that is that We always wanted to have affordable housing seen as quality, Mm. beautiful housing, not as cheap and nasty housing. So design is really important from the facade, Mm. the facade on the street. Having one of our buildings actually lift the streetscape is something that's really important to us. And it gives the people that live there a pride as well in terms of the place that they live, in terms of the fact that they're worthwhile, that they've got value and that we're going to build them somewhere that's actually really, really beautiful Mm. to live. Yeah. So that's really important to us. And we spend money working with really great architects Mm. to get that. But more importantly than that is the actual livability. So there's a couple of things to make the economics of it stack up. You can't just build a sprawling, beautiful building. You know, the people, the rents are small. Yeah. So the rents are small. So to make the whole economics of the FISO stack up, you've got to really, really think about the design. And so that makes us really sharpen the pencil Mm. and sharpen our minds to what is necessary, what is going to work for people, what is superfluous, and so we can get rid of that. Yes. And it's almost, I think, you know, some of the designs that we've come up with are just absolutely lovely and really quite groundbreaking because they are not superfluous, but when people come and live there, they live there really happily. Mm. And we've always got outside spaces because, you know, being in Queensland, beautiful decks, you know, that sort of thing. An outdoor room where people can spend some time is really important. 
But yeah, I think it comes down to the design focus and that that's a real priority for us and knowing yes. over the years what matters to people, what doesn't, what works, what yes. doesn't. You must take that from building to building too, we, those lessons. Yeah, we definitely do. And I think too, the other thing is the materials that we use. Yeah. So we've got to think about it in terms of maintenance, um, maintenance yes. over, you know, we're going to hold this asset forever. Mm. Well, in perpetuity yes. for a long time, 20 years, 40 years, a long time. We're not selling it. And we want to know that the materials that we use both internally and externally are durable, but also beautiful, are not going to cost us a lot over the long term because, you know, maintenance has to be factored into all of those feasibilities as well. Yes. And one of the things that's really important to BHC is our financial viability mm. into the future. So mm. we don't have high rents. We get the money to build the building. We don't then have high rents. We've got to have thought all of that through in terms of how we maintain the building yes. into the long term. Yeah. We don't want to ever have to sell things in order to pay for maintenance. Yeah, yeah, it's completely understandable. Now, turning to you, Rebecca, what bits of the jobs are the most challenging? I would say the thing that is the most challenging to me personally, is that I get really impatient. I get really impatient. I see the need. I see what I want to do. I see what I want to achieve. And I, I'm really motivated to try to achieve that. But it is so slow. Yeah. It's so slow. And so you've <laughs> got to have a lot of resilience and you've got to, you know, have failure after failure and just get up and go, okay, well, we'll try this thing then. Yeah. We'll try this thing. Yeah. And I think the thing that is the biggest challenge to me is working out how do you come up with a plan that gets the influence and gets the results without all the rest of the rubbish, you know, with in the most efficient way that yeah. you can. Yeah. Can't say I've always been that successful in that because I've been down a lot of dry <laughs> gullies, but that's the thing that challenges me. Yeah, just perseverance and having resilience and not being put off, yes. I think, because I think I know that what drives me is having better lives for people yes, and having a roof over the head of somebody who doesn't have a lot of money or having stability so that a child can keep on going to the same school and yes. doesn't have to chip and change and move 20 times. I know all of those things really, really matter. And so for me, having that resilience to just keep on going, keep on trying, keep on trying to work out the best strategy is challenging but very worthwhile. And in doing all of that, you have to deal with an incredible array of stakeholders, both mm -hmm. internal to BHC and also government stakeholders. How do you manage those relationships? I'm pretty much somebody who just likes to have genuine relationships with people. I'm not a particularly- It's always a good start, isn't it, Rebecca? Yeah. We forget we're not all robots. <laughs> no, and I- I'm not a particularly fabulous networker. I don't like to go and work a room. I just like to make relationships with people and for people to know that I am genuine yes. and that, and if I have a problem or if I have an issue that I'll pick up the phone yeah. and I would encourage them to do the same. So I think a lot of the stakeholder relationships are about just having good conversations with people and having a good relationship that you can then sort of fall back on that because you've got so much, you've got history. Yes. So that if something kind of comes up and it is a curveball or mm. a stumbling block, you've kind of got that history that you can work with. I think that's probably the main thing and the main way that I deal with things. And yeah. I'll definitely always pick up the phone myself. And there's certain things that I can delegate to other people and other things that I just think, no, nah, that's for me. It's got to be a Rebecca to, job. Yeah. Yeah. 
What legacy do you want to leave BHC with and also more broadly the sector? Well, in the absolute immediate, like in the immediate, I really want to crack this nut of yes. institutional investment yeah. and properly do a program of works that actually is underpinned by institutional investment. It's been a long time in the making mm. for me in terms Our of the chance. thinking and yes. our our board, you know, thinking about it. And I really, really do want to do that. So that's a very big one. But in terms of legacy for the organisation, I just want to be a good leader. I actually want people to love working for BHC. I want them to continue to be motivated in the work they do. And to be honest, the people who come to work for BHC have that intrinsically in them anyhow because they're motivated anyway. But I don't want to take that for granted. Yeah. I do want to make BHC a really, really good place for people to work. And I see that as a real responsibility on me as the CEO, and I take it really seriously. And for the sector in general, BHC is an organisation, but the way I look at this is around Australia as a nation. Yes. And to me, I don't think Australia should be a place where we have got 116,000 people Mm. homeless. Mm. We are a wealthy country. We've got smart people, we've got money, and every single person who is homeless or living in real housing stress and you're not sure where you're going to put your head down that night, that is really difficult. So I want to, for the sector, I want to contribute to being able to normalise social and affordable housing and have much, much better funding, probably a diversified set of funding mechanisms to be able to actually fund it so that organisations like BHC and also a broader array of organisations can get in and actually be part of providing that. So that's what I would like to see. It's at the moment and for so long it's just been such a little niche. Mm. It's been such a small percentage of the actual housing stock. I would like to see it be a much greater percentage and much more normalised. Yes. And part of that will also be having a fairly clear discussion with the broader community too, Mm. I imagine. How do we do that? Well, as I was saying before, I feel as though COVID has started Mm. that. Everybody has a story or knows someone that has a story, yes. Exactly. And there's so many stories, you know, people who never thought that they were going to be in housing stress or perhaps in perilous housing situation, now find, oh, actually I am, or they know somebody who is in that situation. So I think people have started to really think about that. The other one, interestingly, is older women's housing. I think that really hits home for people Mm. because older women are the fastest growing cohort of homeless people in Australia at the moment. And I think that kind of hits a bit of a nerve for the general population yes. and they go, oh my goodness, that's not right. No. That shouldn't be the case. But there needs to be more of these conversations. And at the end of the day, our politicians need to know yeah. that this matters yes. to people because that's really the only way that things mm. change. Yeah, we need them on board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the moment that tide is definitely turning. turning. Yeah. Yep. Now you're in your second term as a director of the UDIA Queensland. One of the best things you've ever done, I hear on the grapevine, or perhaps that's just <laughs> me projecting. No, gosh, excellent career Good. highlight. Career highlight. <laughs> <laughs> what drives your engagement across the property sector? I 
love the property sector. And I think of the property sector as making places for people. Mm. It's placemaking. It's about community. It's about diversity. It's about improving our society. And so that's why, I mean, I've really loved the time that I have spent on the board thus far. I've really enjoyed it because as far as I'm concerned, you know, this really impacts people's lives. Good property can really improve it mm. for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Bad property can change it for the worse. Mm. And so I see the, the property sector as a real force for changing people's lives in a really, really positive way and achieving diversity as well. Like yes. I think there's a real need for that diversity in housing, both in tenures of housing, but also types of housing and that diversity mm. actually really adds to that fabric. So I, the placemaking and, you know, that that real sense that the people who are out there doing development are there doing fabulous job, absolutely fabulous job, really looking at design, thinking about the places, thinking about the infrastructure, improving the way that everybody lives. And yeah. it's exciting to be part of that. It's wonderful to have the ability to see that firsthand. It's just not a story mm. that we share very well yet, yep. but we're working on that. Yeah, well, I think it's important to share that mm. because it really is a real positive and the kinds of advances that the property sector makes for people's lives can really change lives. Yes. So I feel very attuned to that and very aligned with that. Yeah. It's positive. To me, it's really important too, and a, a big part of achieving your vision is describing BHC as a developer, mm. which I think was a breakthrough moment for a lot in the sector, rather than, as you say, being almost marginalised as a mm. different type of housing. You are part of the housing sector delivering a type of housing that is incredibly important in terms of the housing system. Yes. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And BHC as a developer, one thing I didn't mention before is that a lot of the developments we do, and we typically tend to do high rises. Yes. We will do a mix of tenures in yes. that building. So yes. within that one building, we might do some market, we might do some affordable, we might do some social. We have sold some off to the market as well. So there could be owner occupiers yeah. in our building. There might be commercial or retail. Yes. So it's mixed tenure, mixed use. And that to me is what a good development is, be that a building or be that a suburb, be mm. that a development. It's really important to have that diversity. Yeah. And yeah, BHC as a developer, we hope to play a larger and larger part in yes. a whole heap of different kinds yeah. of developments. Yeah, it's fantastic news. And you're obviously ready and, and able to, yeah. which is great. Yeah, we've got a fantastic, really fantastic team. I can't applaud our team anymore. We've got a really fantastic board. We've got a skill-based board. I love working with the directors on our board. They're amazing people, very, very dedicated, very clever mm. and really groundbreaking in the way that they think of think things through and then similarly you know the teams that we've got within BHC really clever people and dedicated people it's pretty inspiring who care yeah yeah they care I don't think you would work at BHC you and can't not possibly care. yeah and think, it's evident I think so too Rebecca yeah. you know it's really clear yeah no look it's it's great I feel very lucky that's for sure to work for BHC it's a great organization and I feel as though, you know, there's a lot of work for us to do. There's a lot of work for BHC to do. There's a lot of work for the property sector yeah. to do. Yeah. Now, thinking back to a brief time ago, <laughs> what piece of professional advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Such a very long time ago, actually. <laughs> the thing I would say is just to say yes to things, to yes. say yes 
to opportunities and to never, ever think that you can't do something. Mm. If you are thrown in the deep end, likelihood is you'll just learn to swim faster. Yes. And in fact, that's a really great thing. And I say that to younger colleagues. I say that to my kids as well. Yes. (laughs) That it's really important to say yes to opportunities. As I said before, I don't know that I would have necessarily ever grown up going, oh, I really want to work in social and affordable housing. And yet it's actually terrific. And I've found that path through actually being open to things and through saying yes. Yes. And what Mm. an incredible contribution you've already made, Rebecca. And we're really looking forward to seeing BHC's progression over the next couple of years. And thank you too for your contribution around that board table. You always add value and it's been tremendous hearing your view. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time, Rebecca. It's been great to chat to you today. Thank you very much, Kirsty. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Remember to rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. While you're there, please make sure you click subscribe so you don't miss an episode.